0: Lord Jesus, I am thankful for how you've already made your presence known to us. Uh, Lord, as we have worshiped and shared and prayed together, I pray that your spirit has been moving in our midst, and I pray that that would continue. As we come now and we we look at what we believe, what your word teaches us, uh, may you just enlighten us, God. Give us the ability uh, to know you better because of the things your word teaches, to follow you better, to become more like you. Lord, as we often pray, may we leave this sanctuary today, different people that walked in, because we've been in the presence of our King and we've been changed by it. So come and move, we pray, God. We give you permission. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we started a couple weeks ago a series called Back to the Basics. uh, And it's back to the basics of our faith, the basics of theology. And I think I've said this every week. If you're scared by that word theology because it's been used, you have to be a seminary professor or that's garbage. We all have a theology. At its base level, that simply means what we believe about who God is. Like that's as simple as it is. We all have a theology. The question is, are we able to articulate it? Do we actually know exactly what we believe about who God is? And so I want to get back to the basics with that. And the way that we're kind of walking through that is using the statement of faith that our church holds, that our denomination holds. Eleven statements that say, here's who we believe God is and who we are, respectively. And so we're just going to walk through these statements and kind of break them down, because I want us to have that solid foundation that we stand on, the things that that are the most essential essential. As someone once shared, it's the irreducible minimum. You can't boil it down any further than this. This is the core of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, we would say. And so I want to walk through these statements with you as we've been doing so that we better understand what are the basics of our faith. So the first week, we looked at the first statement of faith, and I'm not going to walk through all the statements every week. You can; They're on our website. Uh, if you are a member with us, they're on a covenant of membership. We've got them all over the place. Um, so I'm just going to kind of touch on the previous ones. The first one talked about the perfection of God, his infinite perfection. Jesus has never made a mistake. He's never been late. He's never been wrong. He is infinitely perfect. And it talked about the Trinity, that God is at the same time, and this this bakes our noodle, he's at the same time one being with three distinct persons. Not that he has like schizophrenia or whatever there is. There is a separate Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're at the same time all God. And we, we talk about there's nothing in nature we can point to and go, yeah, it's exactly like that. It's completely other, and there's beauty in that mystery. In the Trinity, God is one but distinctly three, all at the same time. And the second statement that we looked at last week starts to flesh that out in the person of Jesus, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And we talked about his saving work on the cross, how through his shed blood and belief in his shed blood, not belief like just understanding something, but the kind of belief that leads us to live life differently, we receive salvation Because God came to earth and died on the cross in our place through the person of Jesus. This week, uh, we're going to look at the third statement, and it's on the third person of the Trinity. The, The third statement of faith goes like this, the Holy Spirit is a divine person sent to dwell, guide, teach, empower the believer, and convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So what we're going to do, like we've been doing and we will continue to do, is we're just going to take that statement and kind of break it down into its parts and look at each of the parts of that statement. So the first part is the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Much like we talked about with the Trinity, this is just beginning to flesh it out now. The Holy Spirit, every time you read about the Holy Spirit in your Bibles, you will see the word he attached to it. What you will never find in the scriptures is the word it. But oftentimes, this is how people talk about the Holy Spirit. We use it terms as if it's just kind of a power that God put on earth for us to use. But the way the scripture describes the Holy Spirit is he. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not father, son. We can know them. We can love them. And then the Holy Spirit is just like the battery that he put inside of us to give us some power. Just as we can know the father, just as we can know the son... We can know the Holy Spirit. John 14, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, someone in addition to me to be on your side, to help you, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Notice it. The world cannot accept him. It neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him for he lives within you. So let me ask this question, and I'd love for us to learn together, uh, to, to share thoughts together. Why is it so important to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, a he, not an it? Why, why is that one of those foundational pieces that we have to make it part of our statement of faith? That the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Why is that so important? Yeah. 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 That as a, a He, as a person, the Holy Spirit, like, we can relate to him. He can understand us, and we can begin to understand him. Okay? Why else? Well, if he's an it, he's a thing. Mm-hmm. You can know about things, sure. but you can't know a thing the way you can know a person. Sure. He said, if the Holy Spirit is an it, then it's a thing. We can know about things, but we can't intimately know things like we can a person. That's really good. What else? With the Holy yeah. Yeah, when we have these experiences with the Holy Spirit, again, it's not just some power we kind of tripped into, but it's it's The Holy Spirit actually choosing to interact with us and to make himself known to us and to work with us. And and as Jesus says, in us. And it's this incredibly personal thing. In in a book called The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer, a brilliant theologian, he says it like this. He says that the personhood, and that word is used for all kinds of different things now, but speaking specifically to God, the personhood, of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit are so crucial because by definition, persons, personalities are meant to be known, are meant to interact with, for one to know the other and the other to know the one. That is is in the very nature of personalities. You and I need one another. And as we sit and we talk and we, we have experiences together, we actually get to know one another. Not just facts about, we read a biography, but we actually get to know who you are and who I am. And by definition, if the Holy Spirit is a person, then he is to be known intimately and he can know us intimately. If the Holy Spirit is just some force that is out there, just some thing that God kind of like made up and and put into people, it's just the battery that we're supposed to plug into, then it can't be known. But here's the truth of it. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, is not just some power, then it is truly God living within his people. If the Holy Spirit is not a person, it's a thing, hear this, Jesus lied. He said, I will be with you always. We're gonna look at this more here in a second. To the very end of the age. And then he left. And if the Holy Spirit is not the person of God living inside of us, then God is still really distant from us. We we looked last week, if you remember the ways that it would talk about Jesus, said he's seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's where he is. And if the Holy Spirit's not a person, then Jesus was wrong. He's not with us. He's very, very distant from us. But because the Holy Spirit is a person, Jesus' promise is fulfilled. He is with us. In fact, he is living in us. We can know him and he can know us because the Holy Spirit is God and is a person. Does this make sense to you, church? It's, again, it's kind of a weird thing because most people we can stand in front of and we can know what they look like. We, we can see their faces. We can shake their hands. But now we're talking about this much deeper spiritual knowing. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a physical form. he's spirit, it's in the name. But he can be known. And he can know us. Without that, Jesus' promises don't make sense. Everything the Holy Spirit is promised to give us through the scriptures is accessed through relationship. If we just approach the Holy Spirit as just something, hey, let me plug in, give me what I need, we will keep hitting this wall We're not getting the the grace that was promised and the peace that was promised and, and the power that was promised. Because imagine if someone approached you as if you were an ATM. They put a card in your mouth and go, gimme, gimme, gimme. You're like, what the heck? What is this? You don't care about me. The Holy Spirit is the same way. He is a person. And it's through knowing him and interacting with him that we have access to the things that we were promised through him. Does this make sense, church? The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of the promises of Jesus. The the next line, the Holy Spirit is a divine person sent to dwell. Again, Matthew 28, I mentioned this a moment ago. Jesus, one of his last teachings, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And they would have heard this and gone, are you kidding? That's so much. That's so huge. The ends of the earth, what? And he said, remember... I am with you always to the very end of the age. But then he left. Imagine, the disciples, they're like, he just promised to be with us forever, and then we watched him literally fly up into the clouds and disappear. Wait, he's gone. What about all of his promises? And then they received the Holy Spirit, one that, that they can be even more intimate with than Jesus in the flesh. And they began to realize all the promises he made are fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. He is with us forever through the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Back to that passage we looked at in John where Jesus was promising the Holy Spirit. Listen to the intimacy here, him dwelling in us. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said, but I will come to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. You've not been orphaned. When you see me ascend into heaven and I'm no longer here in this pinchable body, don't worry, I haven't left you. In fact, I'm moving in even closer I'm no longer next door to you. I now live in the house with you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit this way. He says, now it is God who strengthens us with you in Christ and has anointed us. He has also sealed us and given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. The fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within the hearts of believers is God's way of signing the contract Here's my guarantee, my unbreakable word. I'm not going anywhere. How do you know that? Because I've given you my Holy Spirit to live within you. I myself have moved in and I'm not going anywhere. It's a guarantee, a down payment of every promise that he has made to us. The Holy Spirit living inside those who believe. In Ephesians chapter 1 Paul says something another similar message when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation and when you believed in him you were also sealed with the promised holy spirit he is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory the holy spirit dwelling in the hearts of God's people is the seal it's done it's finished you are so saved that I'm going to come and live inside of you. I have made you so clean that I can now come and reside in your heart. Amen. It's the promise, the down payment of the inheritance that God has given us. One day, you're going to come live with me, but to show you how serious I am, until then, I'm going to come live with you. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who, has come, who was sent to dwell, to guide and to teach John 16, 13, again, Jesus teaching about the Holy Spirit. says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. The Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell inside of you, and he is going to guide you into all truth. So let me ask you this question. Again, let's take some time, let's learn from each other. How does the Holy Spirit guide us? and teach us what like what does it actually look like for the holy spirit to guide his people if we don't know answer to this one we're going to be here a while uh, because this one's pretty important you can't move forward without this one how does the holy spirit guide us and teach us Don't take everybody's. You can't go first and list five things. That's... Okay, let's focus on the first. I would only say that to her. I will never shut you down like that. We, we talk about this later, and she makes sure that I know I can never do that to you. Um, but the first thing that she called, the, the theological term is illumination, that the Holy Spirit basically shines a light on the scriptures for us, brings them to life, brings them to mind in those times when we need them most. The the difference between a non-believer reading the Bible, a book, and the difference between a believer reading the Bible, the living word of God, that difference is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It it is his job to illuminate the scriptures, to bring them to light in the life of the believer. What went from just, oh yeah, those are probably some good moral teachings, all of a sudden you're reading it and have you had the experience where it just smacks you between the eyes? And you, you're like, you're reading and Jesus is going, be careful. And he gives this warning and you go, that's me, I do that. that. That's the Holy Spirit bringing it to light. Or like Kim said, you're in a situation and you're going, man, I'm not sure what to do. And all of a sudden this scripture comes to mind that, that guides you, leads you toward truth. That's the Holy Spirit leading us, guiding us, teaching us through the word of God. More on the word of God in a couple of weeks. But how else does the Holy Spirit guide and teach the people of God? Conviction. conviction. How, how does He use conviction? By the Holy Spirit, through Scripture. So so often the Holy Spirit puts the mirror of the word up to us and goes, does this match? What you believe and how you're living, they're out of order. They're, they're not in line with each other. Something has to change. And let me tell you this, it's never going to be the word of God. So he, he begins to convict our hearts. And we're going to talk a little more about conviction here in a little bit as well. He convicts our heart of the ways that we're out of alignment with God. And he guides us, he leads us back into truth. Okay, how else? Okay, so touch on some of them. How, How does the Holy Spirit speak to us? And this is where a lot of people begin to get uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit can lead us by giving us an idea that we've never had before. And it's typically something we would never do. Hey, you should give away your car. Here's the thing. If I'm honest, I know me. And I am selfish. I am not in and of myself going to have the thought, I should give away this thing that I've worked hard for, that I've hoarded, that I've that I'm really proud of, whatever it is, I should give that away. I should spend that on someone else. You know what? It would be easier to just sit at home and watch TV, but I should invite people in so that I can do life with them. These are not natural thoughts for selfish beings. And we, as you grow in maturity, you begin to realize those are leadings from the Holy Spirit, guiding me into the way that God is calling me to live in his word. It can be through, through prayer and just sometimes God speaking back the promises of his word. Sometimes, you, you know, you're coming into prayer and you're just going, oh, I'm worthless. I, I did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And you come to God and you, you begin to have this experience of like, no, I forgive you. I've taken care of that. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us, leading us, guiding us. Anything else? Joe, you were putting your hand up. Mm-hmm. Confirmation and discernment. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can you, you give me a little bit of clarity on confirmation and discernment? Discernment is the way the way I express it is a knowing. Mm-hmm. It's a knowing that comes from out uh, inside of me but outside of me. Yeah. Yeah. And inside of me that's outside of me. That's beyond me. Yes. Yeah, a, a very common way that people will talk about that that confirmation. I feel like I'm supposed to do this, but we're still in that wassling. I'm not totally sure. And the Holy Spirit begins to give you experiences that confirm it. Everything keeps pointing in that direction. And you've, you've heard the people going, you know, I was thinking, maybe I was supposed to do this. I wasn't sure. And then the next song that came on the radio, man, if God doesn't use air one. Like, I, it, its I, you, I hear this from everybody. You know, I just, I wasn't sure. And then I turned on the radio and the song said, and I just knew, yep. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's a pretty common one. God speaks through other things than just the radio. I don't even listen to the radio, and I hear the voice of God. It's amazing. But there's those kinds of experiences where the Holy Spirit gives you that leading, and you're going, I, I think, and then he brings those people into your life who confirm it and go, hey, you know, I, this is weird, but I was thinking about you the other day, and I just really felt like maybe I was supposed to say this or whatever it might be, and you go, that, it all lines up. It it is apparent, I couldn't deny it, God is leading me in this direction. The Holy Spirit guides and teaches his people. There's a lot that the scripture has to say about seeking wise counsel about us being in the body together. And man, sometimes we just come up against those things we don't know. And there's a ton in scripture about seeking wise counsel, coming to other brothers and sisters and going, what do you think I should do? Man, you're 20 years ahead of me. You've been through this before. How would you handle this situation and learning from each other? It's a great thing. It's a really wise choice to make. But I think sometimes we turn too quickly to one another. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes instead of turning to God through his indwelling Holy Spirit and going, Lord, would you lead me and guide me? What should I do? It's much easier to run to you and go, hey, give me some good advice. What do you think? First John, the apostle John wrote this. He says, the anointing that you received from him remains in you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a liar. Just as he has taught you, remain in him. let me ask you a question. Are there any passages in the Bible that talk about us receiving teaching? Yes. Otherwise, what am I doing? Like we're, we're wasting our time here. There's a ton in the new Testament, especially that talks about those being gifted as teachers and teaching in the body. I just mentioned, there's a ton on seeking wise counsel and and the ability to go to those that are further down the path than you and go, Hey, help me get to where you are. What, The problem is, that's kind of become the primary tool most of us turn to. And what John is going here is going, hey, don't forget, you have the living God dwelling inside of you. Have you asked him about it? Have you sought him for guidance and direction? How many of you, if you're reading something in the Bible, maybe start with, you should be reading something in the Bible pretty regularly. Oh, gosh. All right. We'll get to it, it's coming, don't worry. When we're in the word, you will come up against things that you don't understand because it was a different culture written to people 2,000 years ago or some things are just hard teachings or a parable that you're going, wait, what did he mean by that? Is your first reaction to Google it? Is your first reaction to go to that person that knows the Bible better than you and and go, hey, what, what does he mean by this? Or is your first reaction to go, Holy Spirit, would you teach me? What is it you're trying to say there? And then, you know, maybe you get an idea and, man, bring other people in and go, I think maybe this is what he's saying. Does that line up with what you've heard? Like, Or sometimes, yeah, you don't hear anything and going, okay, hey, Colin, you're pretty smart. I see you got systematic theology over there under your seat, like thick book. Maybe you can teach me. What does this say? There's a place for that, and it's a really good thing. But far too often, I think we turn to each other too soon. Instead of recognizing the indwelling God is living within me, Holy Spirit, would you teach me? What does that mean? What am I supposed to do here? Do I go right? Do I go left? Whatever it may be. I think so, so often we discount that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us and we turn too quickly to one another. Does that make sense? Do you, get, do you guys understand that distinction? Not that it's bad, but it can be too soon. And we miss hearing the voice of God in our lives. We miss seeing his word come to life in our midst because we kind of replace it with some good advice from you or some good advice from you. The Holy Spirit is a divine person sent to dwell, guide, and teach, empower the believer. Acts 1.8 eight. But you will receive power. This is Jesus talking right before he ascends into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you. And you will receive power like you've never seen before. In fact, it will enable you to be a witness for the kingdom, to show people what the kingdom of God is like in your neighborhoods, in your county, in your state, to the very ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit will bring power. How many of our lives are marked by the power of the Holy Spirit? How many of us, maybe we wouldn't say about ourselves, I don't know, but other people would look at us and go, man, what a witness for the kingdom. Or, how many of us live kind of powerless lives, quiet lives, terrified to ever tell anyone about the name of Jesus? It doesn't say the Holy Spirit will come in power, and then if you want to, you'll be able to be witnesses. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Where is the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst? Where is the power of our Holy Spirit when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're with our neighbors leading us? I, I have to tell them about Jesus. I have to live out the kingdom in such a way that they go, what was that? What is it, what is it with this God that you serve? Why would you live like that? Why? That they would know the power that is in us. Where is our power, church? And listen, this is not just an Elkins Alliance thing. Nationally, you look at that people are terrified to share the gospel. People are terrified to be witnesses. The numbers have dropped to almost 0% of believers in American churches share their faith. Not even regularly at all this year. Almost 0% will share their faith this year. But Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Where is our power? It makes me start to wonder. Jesus also taught in Matthew 7. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. And every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. He was talking about people who say they're followers of Jesus, but aren't really. And he would say, look, the only way you can know, there's no, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Well, they said, yes, they must be in. Look at the fruit of their lives. Do we have power? Has there been transformation? I hear way too many stories of people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and their lives don't look different at all. That is not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus. Is there fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you look different from your neighbors, from your family members, from your coworkers, fellow students that don't know Jesus? Because let me tell you, they're judging you by your fruit. And I don't mean judging you in some like super harsh way. They're looking and going, does anything they say ring true? Does what they say they believe and how they live? Francis Chan, uh, in his book, The Forgotten God, all about the Holy Spirit, He gives this really unique illustration where he says, imagine one day you and I are playing basketball. You might not believe it, I'm not great uh, at basketball. When you look at this physique, you probably think he's LeBron, I'm not. (laughs) But imagine the next day I come and I go, hey, the God of basketball came to me last night and he lives inside of me. You'd be like, okay, take the ball out, let's see what happens. But guess what, I still can't pass, I still can't shoot. Dribble, not so much. No way am I dunking. Do you believe the God of basketball came and lived inside of me? Of course not. How many of us say the living God, the God of love and truth, grace and mercy lives inside of me, yet I'm the quickest to lose my temper. I am the the quickest to, to judge and to gossip and to slander that people know. Why in the world would they believe the God of truth has come to live inside of me? The Holy Spirit, by his very Nature empowers the believers to live faithfully, to live different, to live changed lives, to bear good fruit. Each of us owes it to ourselves to look in the mirror and go, do I bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? If not, where's the disconnect? And it's a dangerous disconnect. We're gonna get into heaven and hell again in a few weeks, but listen to the warning that Jesus puts on it. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We can get into who's in and who's out of heaven and all of that. Like, there there are some ways to look at it. But this was meant for every person that heard this teaching to step back and go, Whoa, is my life producing fruit? Because what Jesus just said terrifies me. Is my life producing fruit? Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Or your translation may say, Keep in step with the Spirit. For those who keep in step with the Spirit, who live by the Spirit, they will see this fruit. They will see, and listen, not just a little bit of love, joy, and peace. Divine amounts, like overwhelmingly to where people look and they go, how are they that gracious? How are they that compassionate? It doesn't make sense. The only explanation is that the God of grace, the God of peace, is living inside of them if you're not experiencing that fruit in your life, and I don't mean getting it perfect every day, but if you're not growing in the fruits of the Spirit, then you are out of step with the Spirit. I'm not saying there's no way you're saved or question yourself. No, but you need to take a long, hard look and go, if I'm not bearing the fruit, then I am not in step with the Spirit. And that is an incredibly dangerous place to be. The Holy Spirit has come to empower the believer. Philippians 2.13, the apostle Paul talking says, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Here's the good news. Sometimes we come to that place where we go, I see the good things that God is calling me to. I see the fruit. I see um, the commands to, to be a witness. And if I'm honest, I don't want to. Sometimes we can just be that honest. I just, I just don't want to. Here's the beauty. As Pastor Mark used to say, God provides the want to. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you even to desire the good work, let alone then the ability to work it out. Some of us need to start in a place of going, God, I don't even have the want to. I see what your word says. It's plain as day. But something in my heart goes, eh, I'd rather not. Would you even give me the want to? He promises he will. And then enable me to work out your good purpose, to live the kind of life you've created me to live. Some of us have the want to. We're just going, okay, where, where are we out of sync? I want to do it. I'm just, I don't feel able. Holy Spirit, where are we out of sync? Where am I, as, as Paul said in Galatians, out of step with you? And the Holy Spirit empowers the believer through the giftings that he has given us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, a demonstration of the spirit. Uh, What that really means is the spirit makes himself known to each person to produce what is beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of languages, to another interpretations of languages, on and on and on. He keeps going in chapter 12 to talk about this list of the, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives his people, but one and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. God has given everyone who is his own gifting to serve the people around him, to build up the body of Christ, the church. God did not gift you for your own benefit, for you to get rich or famous off of, or for you to feel good about. God has given each of us the giftings he's given us to pour out for those around us, that we would serve one another, that we would unite together as a body of Christ. It's only through the empowering of his Holy Spirit that we see this coming to fruition. Is this making sense, church? I know Kim gets it. She's vocal. The rest of you, I need some head nods. The Holy Spirit can't not empower the believer. He can't not bring change in the life of a believer. It is what he does simply by him being present. Change is worked out. The question is, are we holding him at arm's length? Are we out of step? Are we distant from him? If we're not seeing this kind of change... Something's out of sync. Billy Graham, uh, one of the the greatest uh, evangelists of our time, he says the greatest need today is for men and women who know Jesus Christ as Savior to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we're sinning against God. That says me and women, but it's actually men and women. It, It changes things if you think about it. But listen to the strength of it. Not just, man, we need some more of it. If we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, we're sinning against God. The commands to keep in step by the Spirit, to to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to use the giftings of the Spirit, they're not suggestions. It's not bonus. It's not, hey, welcome to heaven, but if you want to get like a really good seat, go tell some people about Jesus. It's these are the commands for followers of Jesus to look like him, to live like him, to love like him. If not, we're choosing sin. Let that sink in, church. The Holy Spirit is a divine person sent to dwell, guide, teach, empower the believer and convince the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. This comes from John chapter 16. Again, Jesus teaching on the Holy Spirit. And he says, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Stop and think about that. Jesus walking with his disciples for three years, teaching them everything. And he looks at him he goes, I'm leaving shortly. And man, it's gonna be so much better for you when I'm gone. They would have been like, what are you talking about? How could life get better than you standing right next to me, Jesus? I'm leaving soon, and it's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. About sin, because they do not believe in me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Jesus is going, it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit inside of you one day Than it will be if I was standing right there next to you. You will be more empowered and enabled to live the life God is calling you to than if I was with you in the car every single day. Most of us don't believe that if we're really honest with ourselves. We go, man, it would have been so easy for the disciples because Jesus was right there. He himself told them, it's going to be even better for you when I'm gone and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. It says about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. They had Jesus to literally look at and go, what does righteousness look like in this situation? The Pharisees are coming against us and they're they're pointing their fingers. They're They're gonna stone that woman to death. And they could look to Jesus and go, what would a righteous man do? Let's wait and see. And they could watch what Jesus did. But he said the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world of righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you won't see me anymore. As the world, as culture, as times have changed, we can't look to Jesus and go, okay, so how does Jesus handle social media? How does Jesus handle politics in America? How does Jesus handle finances in our current situation? He was 2,000 years ago. We're not able to look and go, what would he do in some of these specific situations? I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me, but I will give you the Holy Spirit and he will teach you what righteousness looks like right here and now. He will show you what it looks like to live righteously in the year 2022, in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. No longer looking and going, I don't know. How would Jesus have handled this? I guess maybe he would have. But we get to go, Holy Spirit, what does it look like to live righteously here? What does it look like to handle these things in in a healthy way, in a responsible way? And he will convict the hearts of the believers about righteousness. Here is what righteous life looks like in your current circumstance to this very second. You don't have to guess. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit living inside of us about sin. He says the Holy Spirit is coming to convict about sin because they do not believe in me. The Spirit convicts the believer of every sin in our lives. We talked about this a little before. It's the way that he guides and he teaches us. We talked a couple weeks ago about how the spotlight of the Holy Spirit, his conviction is the greatest gift to the believer. That he comes and he doesn't just go, hey, this is wrong, quit it, you're making me mad. He says, this is killing you. You have to move away from it. It's separating you from me, and that leads to death. Let's cut this out. Let's get over this. Let's get through this. And so he convicts the believers of sin, and it's his greatest gift. But he also convicts the world of the most important issue, singular, that they don't believe in him. Understand this, church. No one is going to hell because they are liars, or greedy because they are in this kind of relationship or that kind of relationship because they have sex outside of marriage because they, whatever the kind of hot topic issues are, no one is going to hell because of those issues. They will experience separation from God because they didn't believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and he came and he died in their place. Again, like we talked about last week, not just head knowledge, but truly the belief that changes a life. That is the core issue. That is, in fact, the only issue when it comes to who will walk with him and who won't. says he comes to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. All of us that have chosen to follow Jesus did so because at some point the Holy Spirit got our attention and said, you are far from God. He has made a way and you have to turn. He convicted us and we chose to turn. And he is doing that convicting work all around the world. We want it to be conviction based on this political line or on this or whatever. And he goes, people need to know me because without that, whether they choose to live in this kind of relationship or handle their time and money that way doesn't matter. Because if they don't know me, there is no hope for life. And so the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world. He, He still convicts us of unbelief, those of us that are, Following him, he comes and he says, in this area of your life, you're not believing in me. You're going your own way and it's killing you. Choose to believe that my word is true. Choose to believe that the way I'm calling you to live actually leads to life. And he convicts. Because that's the core of all of those issues. Do we believe that what Jesus said is true and is worth following? Or do we choose to go our own way and do the best we can? That's really, if you boil down every issue, that's what they come to. Is he the king or am I the king? His way or my way? And finally, it says that he comes to convict the world about judgment. Understand this, the ruling has already been handed down. He says the ruler of this world has already been judged. There's no question of, okay, but what are the key issues? Or what? He says, either you believe in me or you don't. Either you walk with me or you don't. And for those that don't, the judgment is already clear. He told us beforehand, the ruler of this world, he's talking about Satan, has already been judged. And those that choose to go his way will face the same judgment. And the Holy Spirit has come in compassion to warn the world. Don't go that way, it leads to death. He's come to warn his church, don't turn away, it leads to death. The judgment, the ruling has already been handed down. We know what happens. Don't do it. Don't go that way. The Holy Spirit is a divine person sent to dwell, guide, teach, empower the believer, and convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. We looked at at two different times at John chapter 16. Once we looked at 7 through 11. The other time we looked at 13. But verse 12, right in the middle, kind of beautifully sums up the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. He just went through in in verse 7 through 11, talking about how the the Holy Spirit will come and he will teach us all things and convict us of all things. Then Jesus says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them right now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all things. Jesus is going, look, my three and a half years doesn't cover it. You're not at a place where you can hear it, but you can hear the excitement in Jesus. He goes, I have so much to tell you, but when the Holy Spirit comes... He will lead you into all truth. The greatest gift that God has given us is his indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus went, there's so much that we can't write it all down for you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, you will have access to everything you need to be the man or the woman that God has created you to be. What a blessing it is. Will we walk in a manner worthy of it? Will we keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Will will we allow the Holy Spirit to bear his fruit in us, to bring power to us, and to bring change to our community through us? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you bring your conviction on our heart, God? Where there are places where we are not keeping in step with you, where we are going our own way, where we are choosing to be king or queen of our own lives. Would you convict us and may we respond with brokenheartedness, God with with releasing our, our death grip on the things that we cherish and trusting you with them. You have made incredible promises to the believer that we will be transformed through the power of your Spirit, that that we will be provided for through the power of your Spirit, that the ones we love will be changed through the power of your Spirit. May we now submit to the power of your Spirit, God. So if there are any of those areas in each of our lives, and there are those areas, would you shine your spotlight? Would you bring the gift of conviction? And may we in humility submit to your leading so that we can receive the things that our hearts desire more than anything else, the love and peace that comes from the Father. Do your work, Holy Spirit, and may we, your people, be completely transformed because of it. May we bear the fruits of your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.